Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. 1 John chapter number 3, thank you for being here. I see some folks who are visiting with us. If you're here because of the Thanksgiving weekend, visiting family and friends, thank you so much for being here. This is your first time looking for a church ministry. We welcome you. So if you're visiting with us, no matter your reason, uh, we have a gift for you that we'd like to give to you at the end of the service, and that would be in the lobby. And so just stop there, and we have a gift bag for you. I miss Francisco this morning. Uh, He's one of our faithful ushers, and so one of the other ushers is going to have to help hand out our our notes this morning. So men, if you'll come, uh, do pray for Francisco as he had... Uh, surgery this week that he will be able to recover and that uh, we'll see him again soon here in church. And so if you need a copy of the notes, our men will put uh, the handout in your hand and you can follow along this morning and it will be a, a help to you. We're at 1 John chapter 3. Our goal is to finish chapter 3 today. 12 messages so far uh, in 1 John, and, and so we're, we're over the halfway mark as far as uh, chapters, and so we'll look forward to um, uh, concluding this series. But December is next week. How many of you are ready to start singing Christmas songs? How many of you were disappointed it's after Thanksgiving and we didn't sing Christmas songs today? Yeah, some of you are waving your hands. So we'll see what we can do about that. And beginning next Sunday, uh, we're going to sing some Christmas songs. It is always interesting. We only sing these songs one time a year, but they're the loudest songs of the entire year. I think we should sing Christmas songs year-round. I think that would be good. Uh, but next, uh, as we cross over into December, next Sunday we'll begin singing Christmas songs. I appreciate all of those who jumped in this past week, began decorations. The stage looks amazing, and I love the, the, the clean, crisp look of our, our decorations uh, this year. And I'm so grateful uh, for that. First John chapter number 3, everyone's in their place, and I'm um, uh, looking forward to just sharing a message today straight out of this chapter. We're doing what's called exegetical preaching, and that is we're going verse by verse, word by word, line by line, phrase by phrase, uh, so that we can truly understand in the culture and context of the passage what God is saying. And so John is writing here, and so I've entitled this morning's message, Is That Your Final Answer? How many of you remember the TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Many years ago, um, it, it, it was a, a, a hit show, number one. In fact, ABC capitalized on this, and they put it on three times per week, Who the TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. We remember that precocious host, Regis Philbin. He grilled contestants with questions from history, science, math, Uh, pop culture, and according to the Associated Press, the game show originated in England, and Philbin, he added his own personality to the American version, and he constantly bombarded the players with the question, is that your final answer? 
Now, many of us, we've seen that show. Now it's syndicated. And, and, um, but uh, when it was the, the, it was the top show on television, many of us, myself included, we wanted to answer those questions, and we all knew the answers. We all could have been millionaires if we would have been the one that was there. But do you remember what would happen is that person would be sitting there, and after a suspenseful pause, uh, we learned whether or not their answer was correct. I like uh, games of trivia, and, and uh, sometimes uh, uh, as we watch this show, even with uh, our, our children, um, the questions got progressively harder, and the dollar amount uh, went up. And, uh, and after each, each question, Regis would say, is that your final answer? And then we would hear the music, and, um, and then the contestant had an opportunity to use something that was called a... Ah, you're right there with me. They had three lifelines that they could use. And, uh, and so you would see them sweat, and they always had water, and they would drink their water, and they chatted nervously with, uh, with the host. And it, it seems uh, like most contestants gave up long before they would go to that next level because they were assured of a certain dollar amount. I remember watching... And uh, we were watching, and uh, the very first contestant who won a million dollars, and it was a question about how far is the sun from the earth. And here's the thing. Often, we would sit there, and uh, we knew the answer, and we could answer that question confidently. The only problem is we weren't the one in the hot seat. But I find this to be true. Confidence is vital to success in any area of life. Confidence is vital to success in any area of life. We have to believe it if we're going to achieve it. And whether it's advancing your career, investing your money, or whether it's competing in sports, you must be confident in order to win. Former NFL head coach of the Chicago Bears, Mike Dicta. He was quoted in Sports Illustrated. He said this, before you can win, you have to believe you are worthy to win. I like the story I read uh, uh, about John McKay. Many of you remember John McKay if you associated with sports. John McKay, he was really good friends with the legendary uh, coach of Alabama. Uh, and his name was uh, uh, Coach Paul Bear Bryant. And, and uh, John McKay tells the story that they went duck hunting. How many of you have ever been duck hunting? I have never been duck hunting. But uh, they went out duck hunting. And, uh, and they were, went out to, to shoot ducks, and uh, they were there for three hours and hadn't seen a duck. And finally, a lonely duck came flying through the sky, and uh, uh, Paul Bear Bryant, he, he grabs his, his, his shotgun, he fires, and that bird is still flying today. <laughs> but Coach Paul Bear Bryant told John McKay, John! You are witnessing a genuine miracle. There flies a dead duck. <laughs> and so we got to think about that one for just a little bit, all right? Confidence is so important. But may I tell you, we're not here to talk about being confident in your uh, financial area of life. We're not here to... Be t we're not here talking about to how to be confident in an area of your career. We're here to talk about can we have confidence in our spiritual lives. Confidence is a key uh, 
to having a successful spiritual life. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in our God that we just sang about. Someone said this, the army of Israel thought Goliath was too big to defeat. But David thought he was too big to miss. I want you to notice a few verses that I find in the Bible about confidence especially when it comes to our spiritual lives. Proverbs 3.26 says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 and verse 35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. John has already written to us, and we've already looked at chapter 2 and verse 28, that one of the reasons that we're to abide, one of the reasons that we're to remain in close, intimate fellowship with Jesus is that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. How's your confidence this morning? With these Bible verses as our backdrop, let's examine the final verses of 1 John chapter 3. And, and I find it hard to believe we are here already in our uh, 12th message. And, and um, one of these days I'm going to remember to do this before the message. So uh, we're going to do our responsive reading. And as we do our responsive reading, you always read the even verses. I read the odd verses. So this morning, we're going to begin in verse 19 until the end of the chapter. Verse 19, the Bible says this, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we, there's our word, confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Father, thank you for the great Thanksgiving weekend that we've been able to enjoy as family and friends. Many of our church family, they're traveling. Uh, I ask that you'll give them safety as they return to Tucson today. Lord, as we have opportunity to look at this passage of Scripture, may we set aside things that may distract us or things that we're thinking about doing this afternoon or things on our plate for this week. And may we learn and be helped spiritually this morning in our own personal relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to be here in this church service. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's message, we're going to deal with this theme, confidence in our spiritual lives. And we're going to examine only two points this morning. The problem of having an unconfident heart, and then we're going to look at the power of a confident heart. And so first of all, let's look at this thought, the problems of an unconfident heart. 
John here writes that our hearts condemn us because of a word called sin. That our hearts condemn us because of sin. In verse 20 he said, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not. A more literal rendering says not if, but when our heart condemns us, suggesting that from time to time that our heart will condemn us. How many of you really believe that there is a Satan or a devil? How many of you really believe that this morning? I tell you, if you're a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you know that there is a devil. And here's what happens. Our enemy, the devil, he attacks our faith. He attempts to dislodge us from our faith in Jesus Christ, to overtake us, to disarm us, to invalidate our effectiveness for Christ. That's why 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 is so important. Be sober. In other words, always be vigilant. Always be looking because your adversary, your enemy, the one who wants to disarm and defeat and distract you and discourage you, that enemy, the devil, he wants to destroy you. So what does it mean our heart condemn us? The more we live in truth, the more that we abide in Jesus, and the more sensitive our hearts become to God, we understand how difficult it is to always maintain that fresh relationship because the devil's always there to whisper doubts in your ear. Here's what I find. That word heart in Scripture often does not refer to the blood pump. Uh, but it also, but but often it refers to our inner consciousness, um, uh, or our we use this word, our conscience. Um, uh, this is what they call an anthropomorphism. It is that we're not. It re- refers to what we think is a physical heart, but it's actually referring to our conscience. And so they're used interchangeably as an example. The Holy Spirit inhabits you. The Holy Spirit works in your conscience or your heart. Someone recently said to me, Pastor. I'm doing all the things that I know I should be doing. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. I'm really trying to obey. But something doesn't feel right. I wonder if you've ever had that. Man, I think I'm doing everything right. But something doesn't feel right. That person had what what John is writing is a condemned heart. In other words, something was wrong in his life and the Holy Spirit was pricking his conscience. And by the way, that's a good thing that you say, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but yet something doesn't feel right. There's something amiss. The Holy Spirit is working on you. God allows us to feel condemned so that we can get back to where we need to be. The more we grow spiritually, the more sensitive that we will become to God. It's like having your eyes dilated. I hate that. I don't know about you, but they, they put those drops of liquid in your eyes and you walk out of the optometrist's office and you have to wear these dark glasses because your eyes are so sensitive. You know that when your heart condemns you, don't ignore it. Don't lie about it. Why is that? Because in verse 20, the Bible says, God is greater than our heart. And know with all things. And even when we may not be able to discover what's going on in our conscience or our heart, here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit's there to guide us, to show us that something is not right. He knows what you think. 
He knows what you do. And he condemns our hearts so that we might know it and that it might allow him to change what's wrong in your life. Remember Peter? How many of us are like Peter? Oh, Peter, he swore he would never forsake Jesus. And then he denied him how many times? Three times. His heart condemned him. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. Yet, I'm so thankful that Peter didn't quit. Peter didn't give up. You know what Peter did? He heard the command that was given directly to him by Jesus. And Jesus said this, feed my sheep. And Peter went out and he preached what is perhaps one of the greatest messages that's ever been preached. And the Bible says some 3,000 people were saved. Wouldn't that have been a service to go to? I don't believe they had enough altar workers for that day. 3,000 people trusted Christ. Well, sometimes our heart condemns us because of sin. Other times our hearts condemn us because of satanic attack. The devil is real. The devil wants to defeat you. He wants to destroy you. And sometimes we feel condemned in our hearts not because of sin, uh, but because of, of stress and the attacks of the enemy. That's what verse 19 is talking about. We know that we are of the truth and, we, and shall assure our hearts before him. Every believer needs assurance from time to time. I talked to some of our sweet older ladies, and uh, their widow, uh, their husband's going on to heaven, and sometimes it can be so lonely. Sometimes it can be um, overbearing when, the, when they're just there day after day in their home or their apartment or their, whatever their living situation is, and it just gets so lonely. And sometimes that quietness, that loneliness, you know what happens? The devil begins to place doubts in your, in your mind. People are retired. They, once, they were going 40, 50 hours a week and going, going, going. And then suddenly they're retired and now it's all quiet. And the devil begins to whisper in their ear and place seeds of doubt. No matter how much scripture you know. No matter how often you come to church, no matter how you worship and sing the amazing song, How Great Thou Art, no matter how much praying that you do, no matter how much giving you give, no matter how, no, uh, how, much, how many ministries you're involved in, may I just say sometimes we all need to be reassured. Every one of us. We need a word of reassurance. So with this in mind, let's look to Scripture and has there ever been someone like that in the Bible that needed to be reassured? I love, the, I love John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a great story in the Bible. John the Baptist, let me tell you about how great John the Baptist was. John the Baptist knew this feeling. When we first meet John the Baptist in Scripture, you know what we know about John the Baptist? Is that he was this eclectic prophet and he lived out in the desert and he ate what? Locust and honey. He was a man's man. We got all these men wearing their beards getting ready for journey through Christmas. John the Baptist, his beard was bigger than yours. I can't even grow. And I said, oh, like November was no shave month. I did it for three days and I said, this isn't going to work. So John the Baptist was a man's man. He ate locusts and honey. He lived out in the desert. We find him. His message was this. You know what his message was? It wasn't even a friendly message. Repent! 
For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the herald of the coming king. He preached from Isaiah, the voice of, uh, as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he said this, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. He warned of the self-righteous religious leaders. And, and in Matthew chapter 3, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. Speaking of the coming Messiah, John the Baptist, he was amazing. He was, he was unashamed. He was confident. He was bold. He said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He also said, he it is who coming after me is preferred for, before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. John had no doubt about what his mission was. John the Baptist was to prepare the Jews for the coming Messiah. He was amazing. He was an, a, a, a fabulous preacher. One day, we know the story, John was preaching to the, to the multitudes. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he sees him. Who did he see? Jesus Christ. And he sees Jesus coming. And the Bible gives us this amazing story. He says, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he said, this is, uh, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. And moments later, John, he testified that he saw the Holy Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and resting upon him. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one. He was literally the Son of God. That must have been an incredible moment. I don't know if we'll be able to do this, but it sure would be great in heaven if we can go to the library or the archive and we can pull up moments in history and we can relive this the first time John the Baptist saw Jesus. The one he had preached about, the one that he had preached a message trying to get ready for the Jews. Repent, he's coming, repent, he's coming. But do you know that there's another story about John the Baptist? In Luke chapter 7, we find John the Baptist again. The sadistic Herod had imprisoned him. He's been in a long time now. He's been a dark dungeon. John's tired. He's discouraged. He has no one to preach to. He's suffering. He's lonely. Jesus has now supplanted him as the one that the masses were following as he was doing the miracles. And in that dungeon, doubts began to trickle in, those satanic thoughts, those satanic attacks. And in the dark, lonely hours of the dungeon, dungeon that evil one, the devil, the wicked one, is a roaring lion. He's found John the Baptist. And we find that John the Baptist even though he had done exactly what he was instructed to do, he needed to be reassured. And so John had a couple messengers, and he asked them, could they go find Jesus and ask him a question? In Luke chapter 7, the Bible says, when the men were coming to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? I've been in this prison, I've been in this dungeon, and 
this isn't exactly how I expected things to go. Are you sure you're Jesus? Hold these two messengers and the story they watched as Jesus continued to heal people and watched as Jesus uh, began to cast out demons. It's the end of the day. Jesus has done his ministry. And the Bible says that Jesus turned to these two messengers in Luke chapter 7. And he tells these two messengers, go your way. Tell John what things you've seen and heard and how that the blind man, uh, the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised uh, to the poor, the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me or doubt me. Not many days later, John the Baptist, he laid his head on a chopping block with great confidence. His heart was at peace because Jesus had reassured him. I wonder this morning if there's someone who needs to be reassured. Man, you've been serving faithfully. You've battled some health issues. and There's some things going on in your life and you're just perhaps a little discouraged. Listen, if John the Baptist can get discouraged, he met Jesus. He preached about him. He saw the miracles if John the Baptist can get discouraged, I believe that all of us can get discouraged. May I just tell you that if you're in the dungeon this morning, I want you to remember something. God is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. God is greater than those doubts that may be going on in your heart, and he knows all things. I'm so thankful this morning for people in our own church that I've had the privilege to meet there's a lovely lady, and there's many lovely ladies in our ministry, but there's a lovely lady in our ministry by the name of Ethelene Hens. Miss Hens, because of her health, is not always able to attend our services. She has some tremendous health battles herself. I wouldn't want to embarrass her this morning. I looked to see if she was here. If she is, wave your arm at me, Miss Ethelene. Is she there? There you are. I don't mean to embarrass you this morning, but I... I I want to tell you something. This lady has reassured a lot of us. In spite of her own dungeon of health issues and cancer, oh, she writes to so many. She sends cards and letters, and she writes books to people. I mean, she writes on every available space on a card. And I know that because as I visited the hospital or visited in someone's home, I'll see a card from Ethelene on the hospital stand in the home or someone has one in their Bible or another person uh, in the uh, Wednesday midweek service has a card there that they just opened from Ethelene. I just want to say I think that, that she has reassured a lot of people, but in that she is reassured. I'm not focusing on my own health issues. And the fact that I may go be with Jesus really soon, I'm not focusing on me. I'm focusing on how I can be an encouragement and help to others. Miss Ethelene, I wasn't sure if you'd be here today, but I thank you for that encouragement that you are to so many. Let's thank Miss Ethelene for that. Thank you so much. The second point of my message this morning, and I hope this will be an encouragement, is that there is power in a confident heart. 
All right, the devil, he wants to devour you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to discourage you. But I'm telling you, as your pastor, as someone who's witnessed this in our church, there is power in a confident heart. John said in verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. In other words, I've gotten rid of the sin. I've gotten rid of those self-doubts. I put the devil to the side. I've gotten out of the dungeon of despair. I have confidence in my God. We can be confident before God when we've dealt with our sin, when we've recognized the truth of who we are in Christ, and it's about Him. May I just tell you, there's four results of a confident relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, there is power, the power of confident prayer. There's the power of confident prayer. Verse 22 says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. If verse 22 is true. Now, is verse 22 true? But if it's true, if it's true, then I ask you this question, why don't we pray more? Why don't we talk to the Lord more? Why don't Christians spend more time in prayer? Why don't we obey what Paul wrote? Pray without ceasing. We go long periods without prayer because we don't really believe prayer will change anything. Or we're rich, snobby Christians and have no need of anything. And because we have everything we want, we don't need him. And we live that way. But I want, you, I want you to know this. The Bible says that if I have confidence in God, I can have a confident prayer life. I love this next verse. And, if, and this morning, I would love for you to circle in your notes this next verse. It's a permission that's been granted to every single believer in Christ. And please look this up this week. Hebrews 4 and verse number 16. I would love for you to memorize this verse. It says this, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Go to your priest, tell him what you need. Go to your pastor, tell him what you need. Go to your boss, tell him or her what you need. That's not what the Bible says. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly, confidently, you can talk to your heavenly father. Oh, number two, I see that you can have a confidence in what I call the power of a confident ob obedience. A confident obedience. In verse number 22, that confident prayer is linked with a commandment. Keeping his commandments and doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. Some people, they pray selfishly in order to get what they want. However, the, John is teaching us that if I'm abiding in Jesus, if I'm living in obedience, then I can be sure that whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because I want what God wants for me, not what I want. And it changes our attitude about prayer and my level of obedience. I think it's a confident prayer when we pray for our neighbors and our family and our co-workers to be saved. It's also a, a, an obedient prayer that we should pray for those who are lost. Let me quickly get to the third area that we can be confident this morning. I like this one. The power of a confident love. The power of a confident love. 
Note that verse 22 speaks of commandments. That is a plural speaking in general terms. But in verse 23, we find commandments singular and specific. We don't have to remember all the commandments as long as we do the commandment. And verse 23 is the summary of all the commandments, plural. Interestingly, this singular commandment really sounds like two commandments. So let me explain it so that's not confusing. We are first to believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That would be our prayer this morning. If you've never believed on Jesus, believe on him today. It is vital that you make that connection, that you make that decision. And secondly, to love one another. You say, well, that seems like two commandments, but it really is one if we understand the Greek language in which it was written. So let me just give you an explanation here. The word believe is in the Greek aorist tense and refers to this, a once for all, one time decision. And when I trust Christ, all right, so I do that one time. I believe Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior with an amen. How many of you have done that today? All right. I trust that that would be all of us. But certainly in a crowd this size, that is not likely. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, today should be the day that you do that. It's a once-for-all decision. However, love, once I make this once-for-all decision, love is in the present tense. Remember, I said believe is referring to a once-for-all decision. Then you have the word love. It's in the present tense in the Greek language where it refers to a continuous action. Do I ever stop loving? No. It's a continuous action. We have believed in Jesus in the past, Therefore, our faith is now visibly evident by our active and continuous love for one another. I am to love one another. Does that mean there could be unlovely people in my life? Yes. Am I to love them? All right, we said, yes, there could be unlovely people, but we didn't respond to that second question. Can there be unlovely people in my life? All right, let's with the same energy. Am I to love those unlovely people? Yes. Verse 18 says that we're not to merely love in word, neither in tongue, but we're to love in deed and in truth. Verse 19 says, hereby we know that we are of the truth. By what? By our love. When your heart does not condemn you, you're confident before God in your faith. And here's what happened. Your love spills out of your life. Do you have love one for another? All right. Help me out here. I can have a confident relationship with God, and there's power in that. So the first one, I can have power in my what? Prayer life. Then I should have confidence in my obedience. And I can have confidence in my? All right, let's notice finally this morning, the Bible says here there's power of a confident spiritual feeling. Confidence in a spiritual feeling. Now, this may be a strange language. Or concept if you're new in Christ. In verse number 24, John teaches us that not only do we abide in him, but God abides in us. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. I do not understand how all this works. But here's what I know what the Bible says and I've experienced. Is that the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in me. 
I know that because often my conscience is pricked either because of sin or, or the Holy Spirit gives me power, the Holy Spirit gives me answers. I know that the Holy Spirit, because as, as a believer, that the Holy Spirit lives within me. How many of you know that with an amen? Amen. amen. That's what the Bible teaches. We've experienced it. We know it. But there's so much confusion about the Holy Spirit. John's already described him as, uh, as the Holy Spirit, as an anointing. And if you're a Christian, the Bible says the Spirit lives within you. Uh, the, even the Bible says, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, if the Holy Spirit of God does not live within you, you are not a believer. We don't have to wait for the Spirit, long for the Spirit earnestly desire the Spirit, we simply have to surrender to the Spirit. You see, if we are confident before God, we will objectively know His truth and subjectively experience the Spirit's feeling in our lives. I, it's not something that's magic. At the moment of salvation, may I just tell you, the God of heaven chooses to let His Holy Spirit live within you. That's why it's so important that our vessel be clean that the Holy Spirit has a clean vessel and that we think and say and do the right things because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us as a believer. How's your confidence level this morning? The story is told about Abraham Lincoln that when he was assassinated on April the 14th of 1865 that the following items were found in his pocket. An embroidered handkerchief, a pen knife, a, a spectacles case that was repaired with a piece of string, $5 in Confederate money, and some old, worn-out newspaper clippings that described Lincoln as one of the greatest men of all times. But here's the problem. The prevailing attitude in 1865 is that President Lincoln was one of the worst presidents of all time. He was, there was vitriol toward him, in different parts of the country. May I just say this morning, you don't need a newspaper clipping in your pocket. You have the Word of God in your lap and the Holy Spirit of God that lives within you. And the Holy Spirit of God is the one who validates you, not some newspaper clipping. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who says that you can have a confident life, not your boss, not another family member, not your spouse. May I just encourage you, let's live a confident life. So I ask you a question. Are you confident before God? And is that your final answer? Are you confident before God? And is that your final answer? You could close your notes in your Bible. And I've closed with one illustration. I thank you for your great attention. It's not often that we preach a whole message and someone doesn't fall asleep, but if you fell asleep this morning, you did it very craftily. I did not see anyone sleeping today. I thank you for, genuinely for your great attention this morning. I'd like to ask you a question. When we come to the end of life, and on this past Monday, we had the opportunity to have a funeral service for Vicki Shadnov, and there was not a single person present who did not doubt that she is in heaven today. Do you know why? 
because her testimony and her life backed that up. There was zero doubt. I even gave testimony and I said this, I'm more certain that Vicky's in heaven than it is that I'll go to heaven. You know why? Because everywhere we went, Vicky told people about the Lord. Every restaurant we went to, every grocery store, she always had a gospel tract. She always told people about Jesus. She was confident in her faith. But I also heard her pray. I'd like to quickly tell you little story about Vicky, and, and that is, is that some of you, um, uh, well, most of you were, were, were not here on that very first Sunday that our family came to this church, and Vicky also was not here that, that first service. I believe she was back in Tennessee with one of her daughters, and, um, and, and I remember the first time uh, that I met Vicky Shadnov. Now, some of you will have a hard time remembering this. We used to have pews in here. And so there were still five sections and the, there were pews. And she would still sit on that second pew. I came in uh, to church that, that uh, a Sunday morning and I met Vicky for the first time. She was so ex excited to meet me, but I didn't even know who she was. And I walked up to her and she grabbed my face. And there were other people scattered about. They were watching this happen and they knew what was about to happen. And they had not warned me. And she kissed me three times on this cheek. And she turned it and she kissed me three times on this cheek. I was, I, I, I turned red. I was flustered. I did not know what to do. Um, and, um, and, uh, and everybody started giggling and laughing as they saw what happened. And she was known as the kissing Russian lady. She loved people. How many of you have ever been kissed by Vicky? Uh, there's a lot of you. Some of you may kiss more by Vicky and you have your own spouse. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> she loved people. She loved Jesus. She grabbed my hand. I was standing right there where Jack is sitting, and, and she held onto my hand. She says, we're going to lunch. <laughs> yes, ma'am, we're going to lunch. <laughs> we went to a place called Marie Callender's, and, uh, and uh, we went to Marie Callender's. She sat at the head of the table. They, we ordered, and... She, uh, and I, I, had, I, was, I, I was seated uh, to, her, to her left, and she was seated at the head of the table, and we're sitting there, and a couple other people were there, and uh, she wanted to tell us her story, and uh, I'm not going to repeat her story this morning, or we'd be here for a while, but she wanted to tell me her story, and so, uh, so then she prayed. She said, let's pray for lunch. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so she prayed. I thought she, I thought she knew Jesus. You hear what I said? She prayed, and I thought she knew him personally. You know why? Because she did know him personally. Wow, she had a confident prayer. And I'll never forget that first time. And um, I, so I had my hand up. I got through eating. I, I was eating. I had my hand on the table. She grabbed it. And I tried to pull it away. She grabbed it again. I held hands longer with her than I've ever held hands with my wife. I mean, she had the whole meal. For the next hour, I held hands with Vicky, and, um, and she would not let my hand go. And she proceeded to tell her story and how, how many people she's told about Jesus. She had a confident obedience. And you talk about love. All of us have experienced the love of Vicky. She loved, loved, loved. She obeyed that. I mean, she could be annoying. She can't do anything about me right now. 
She could be annoying in the fact that she would get upset. Like if you just pretended to walk behind her, she had eyes in the back of her head. You could never get away from her kiss. She loved, loved, loved people. And I know that she was filled with the Holy Spirit of God because I saw it. I wonder, I wonder if that could be said of you at your funeral. Could that be your testimony that it's undeniable that you obey, you have love, the Holy Spirit lives within you because it's noticeable, the Spirit bears witness? Is that you? Do you have that power and that assurance? 